Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Jets fans, and probably some Flames fans. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts. This is episode 47, and in this episode, uh, I had the chance to interview Mike File, uh, online known as Mike Fail. Um, he's a Calgary Flames guy. He's uh, He does some stuff for Flames Nation, which we get into and talk about, and hockey graphs, does analytics and, and whatnot too. But uh, yeah, we had a great chat about the Flames, their upcoming game tonight, which I have the pleasure of going to with uh, podcast cohort Mac. And uh, we talked about the playoffs, and we... Yeah, we talk about uh, the Heritage Classic in Regina coming up next year between the Flames and the Jets. Also get into a bit of uh, analytics and stats and the recent Seahawk uh, conference. So great chat with him. He's probably going to come on with us in the offseason and talk about the league in broader terms too. So uh, we had a great chat uh, before and after and during the, uh, the interview. So uh, big thanks to him for coming on and hope you guys enjoy it. But before I get to the episode, obviously I want to send some condolences uh, out to uh, Randy Turner's uh, family and friends. Uh, Randy Turner is a media member here a long time uh, in Winnipeg, and uh, he passed away a couple days ago. He was a great man. I had the pleasure of interviewing him in the middle of November for the podcast. Um, A lot of people have gone back to check that out. Obviously, he wasn't just trying to, you know, promote the podcast through someone's passing, but uh, it's probably, I'm going to guess, the last bit of audio uh, of the man before he passed. He was just a couple months old, and obviously, he was uh, sick leading up to his passing. So, um I, I didn't think that I did a great job with the interview, but uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, talking with Randy before and after. He shared candidly about his sickness at the time, and I felt uh, honored that he would. Yeah, so that really sucks. We kept in contact a little bit, but uh, yeah, the man has moved on, but uh, it's nice seeing all the, the tributes to him and his life because, uh, yeah, he was a great writer and a great man and uh, well-liked by a lot of people. So um, it's a sad day and continues to be a sad time in Winnipeg with his passing but yeah so okay so on that sad note (laughs) oh boy uh, let's get to the podcast so Mike did a great job so let's listen to it hey Jets fans welcome back to the Jet Centric podcast this is AJ and actually I should welcome Calgary Flames uh, potential uh, fans that might be listening anyhow I'm here with Mike File uh, you might know him on Twitter as at Mike Fail. He's got a blue check mark. Uh, writer uh, does some stuff over at Flames Nation, which we'll get into, and hockey graphs and all around good content boy and NHL insider. Mike, thanks so much for taking time out of your night to join us to talk some stick and puck. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. This is uh, this should be fun. So I sent you a little list of uh, like a bunch of questions and whatnot I want to get to. So I think what we'll start with first is the the uh, the upcoming stuff. Uh, between uh, that our two teams are involved in the Jets are going to be obviously a top team in the West they are going to be play a playoff bound same with the the Flames and they play each other on Saturday I'm actually getting to go to that game so we're going to talk Jets Flames uh, to start before we get into talking maybe a bit about the Heritage Classic and a bit of your role with some of those other organizations and uh, the recent conference that you went to so uh, with the the Flames right now uh, I'm curious uh, what's your take on the Flames, like as the Jets fans, uh, we don't always pay attention to what's happening uh, to, to other teams. But the Flames' resurgence—I mean, last year, if I'm not mistaken, they were uh, what twentieth uh, in the league. Now they're, you know, second, third kind of thing. Uh, I know that there was a coaching change there, but uh, there's a, been a huge resurgence in the in the Flames over this last year. It's uh, pretty amazing. So, uh, what do you attribute that to? Who are who are some of the the key cogs in 
in that uh, that uptick. Uh, I think the team as a whole, like there wasn't that much turnover from last year to this season. Um, I know a lot of people are going to look to like the Dougie Hamilton to Carolina trade and the return of uh, Elias Lindholm, who's fit in really nicely in the top six, and uh, Noah Hannafin, who's been relatively okay um, on most nights in the second pairing. Um, and then, you know, you know, Bill Peters got hired, but it was mostly just a lot of things like the, the team was relatively unlucky in a lot of respects under Glenn Galdson and the previous coaching staff. And I know a lot of people are probably going to roll their eyes about, you know, the concept of luck, but um, they shot pretty poorly in terms of shooting percentage. And then this year, it's kind of the opposite where it's regressed past the mean to uh, quite exceptionally high for a lot of players. But um you know, it was it was that, and you kind of look at a little bit of smaller things with the coaching change. Um, they they play a little bit more um, low high and uh, more tacky, I guess, in the offensive zone. Uh, de- defensively, they're kind of taking a step back a little bit in a lot of respects. It's a little bit more run and gun, but they're still kind of maintaining uh, control of the game in a lot, a lot of areas. Um, they uh, they started overhauling a little bit more of the penalty kill, which is you know something I talked about in Seattle. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're creating a lot of goals at shorthanded. The power play, especially that first power play unit, has been pretty lethal all year. And then they, the second power play unit has been kind of hit and miss, but, you know, they've made some tweaks recently with James Neal out, and it's helped them balance out a little bit more. Uh, you know, Mike Smith is Mike Smith, and David Redditch, you know, played hot for pretty much most of the season, and he's gone through a bit of a lull. Um, so... In a lot of ways, it's just kind of the inverse of what happened last year and even prior to that, the, the season prior uh, under Glenn Galdson. So uh, that being the, the case, do you think it was maybe an unfair firing of Gullickson? Because uh, who, who do you have now again? What's the coach's name? It's Bill uh, Peters. There you go, Bill Peters. Yeah, sorry. Um, do you think that uh, you, the team would have been fine under that coach? I mean, uh, we, we Sometimes it's funny to talk about coaching sometimes where people put so much blame on the coach and then other people don't want to assign any blame because they're not on the ice doing anything. I'm curious your take on, on the coaching situation, because uh, if it just looked like bad luck, you'd think that maybe uh, ownership would kind of be okay to, to let that ride for a little bit. Um, but uh, is, do you actually think that the coaching change was something that was part of that significance too, or, or not so much? I, th- I think that we, you know, you, you, after a while, you kind of tune at your boss if things aren't kind of going the way they should be. Uh, I know in the past I have in my job, um, and I think it's really applicable in hockey. Um, I think with Gullitson in particular, there was a few systemic and player usage problems that he was not- like an notorious for. Like he rolled four lines religiously. Um, Bill Peters tends to roll his top six pretty extensively, and that third line, depending on the circumstances, um, but if they're down a goal, you don't really see the fourth line or even the, the third line out there too, too much. It's, you know, he's very, you know, I wouldn't say analytically driven. He's a pretty cerebral guy and a really intelligent coach. So, like, I think if you're down by a goal, it's common sense that you play your best players a little bit more to kind of draw, you know, try to equalize or try and draw a penalty and then get yourself in a power play situation. Um, I, I think in particular with Gullitson and whether or not he deserved another shot, I, I Initially, I, I felt he did because, this, you know, he only got two years and one year he kind of, you know, got them in the playoffs and then it collapsed. And then the last year, you know, it was shooting percentage left. But uh, I think with Peters, the one reason that I'll say that Gullitson didn't deserve a second chance um, is because Bill took a lot of the mistakes that he had in Carolina and he was down there for a while. Uh, and, you know, most notably, he had that blow up publicly in the media with Eddie Lack and the goaltending. And 
Um, he he's kind of learned from that, and I think he's changed a few small things in terms of how he coaches teams and um, what he what he expects, and you know how he delivers on the results. And then I think in terms of special teams from last season to this this year, they swapped out you know Dave Cameron, who was not a very great assistant coach or even a head coach you know with the Senators previously, and um, they brought in uh, Jeff Ward from the New Jersey Devils, and he. he kind of has a calling card for a guy that runs pretty, you know, sterile cookie cutter power plays. And it took a while for the team, the, the team and the players to buy into what he was driving. Um, and then they promoted Ryan Husk up from the farm team to run the defense and the, the penalty kill. And I think it, it's a matter of having the right voices in the room and being, you know, having a bit of coalescence in terms of the message that they're sending and the style of play that they want and uh, the kind of identity of a team, because, you know, it's a quote unquote intangible, but, um, but you can get players to play a certain way and drive results. You look at, you know, for example, L.A., previously under Daryl Sutter. He had a lot of rough-and-tumble guys and a lot of grinders, but they could play a possession system. It just didn't work out because they didn't have enough finishing talent. So I think the team as a whole is better because of the change, and I think the right people say, the right people giving the message to the players are in a position to succeed as well. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't realize they'd gone through so many changes, but that's uh, that's wild. Again, just the the difference between last year and this year. Um, that's a uh, it's a pretty pretty stark contrast, and uh, just a number of changes seems to maybe be one of the big things. Because, like you said, personnel wise, there there wasn't nearly as uh, much change. I'm curious. So, what you think? What are some of the the biggest issues that still exist with the team? I mean, you guys are like I said, second, third in the league. I don't know. I haven't checked the standings after uh, tonight's games. I'm not sure if my app's updated or not, but uh, what, what are some of the biggest issues that, that you worry about uh, with this team, obviously with the playoffs just around the corner? Uh, I think uh, goaltending, obviously, Mike Smith isn't a starter, whether or not the you know local media tends to believe in him a little bit more than they should, and David Riddich has went through a bit of a lull, and so there's a little bit of pause of whether or not he can carry that workload. I typically think that you know, a guy who's gotten to you this point, gotten you this far this point in the season should be given just free reign to work out the kinks. We know that goaltenders go and hot, go hot and cold. It's just a matter of how hot they can run and what the lowest of low is in their cold spell is. Um, I think defensively, I kind of touched on it. You know, they give up a lot of really high danger chances and it's part because if they have the, the defense jumping up the play and pinching so much to try and stay in the offensive zone. Um, you look at a guy like Noah Hannafin, he's gotten burned quite a lot this year at five versus five. Um, and the team as a whole has got a lot of younger guys on the blue line, you know, Rasmus Anderson and Oliver Shillington are still adjusting to the NHL game, but they've made a lot of uh, leaps and bounds throughout the season. Uh, I think there's been a lot of concern about depth scoring, you know, uh, it's been pretty good lately. They just trounced a team nine, four, uh, you know, in a, in a pretty big comeback, but you know, they, they've had pretty good depth scoring all year outside of the top line. You know, if the top line wasn't doing it, it was the 3M line or some variation of the Michael Backlund line. And, you know, Derek Ryan's been really great in that 3C role. And uh, Michael Freelig's kind of had a bit of a resurgence, you know, after shooting percentage cratered a lot. Um, he's still providing pretty acceptable third, you know, fourth line scoring when he's playing. Uh, it, it, it comes down to whether or not they're going to hit a lull and the team is going to forget how to score goals and give up a ton again, or, you know, are they going to be scoring goals shorthanded and, you know, scoring on the power play and scoring in all situations? Cause they have the capability of doing it. It's just a matter of not if all kind of three or four aspects of their game are clicking or, you know, if the goaltending struggling one night, that means that the offense has to kind of pick up where, you know, and, and create those goals to either tie the game or win the game. So, 
it's going to come down to a lot of different things, but the defense in the chances that they give up in particular and uh, the goaltending are the kind of big question marks right now. Right. And now, you know, you touched on Frolik. I think that's always an interesting one for Winnipeg fans because, uh, I mean, obviously the Jets are, are doing fine without him, but it's, to some people it feels like he was the one that got away. Um, he, you know, rumors of him not wanting to be in Winnipeg or his wife not wanting to be in Winnipeg and seemed like the Jets kind of played him right around uh, sort of his value and probably should have just overpaid and then he walked for a little bit less to go to Calgary. I'm curious uh, what you can kind of tell us about Froelich in his game. Are we are we sad that he's gone or is he, because like, he had some some periods in the season where he was benched and his agent was, uh, was a Walsh, I think, uh, tweeting stuff out on his behalf. So it kind of gets a little bit uh, muddy there. What's, uh, what is the deal with Froelich? Is he, is he still pretty good contributor or is he um, like where where is he best uh, at? Or is he just a really good complimentary player for you guys? I'm just curious about the Froelich. Yeah, uh, so he's he's fallen off a bit. I mean, that comes with age, and we kind of knew it. He's still able to produce, I think, at a third line level. I think that's probably where you want him. He can play up on the second line, but he's not going to create that secondary offense that you would expect of him. And you know, he still drives shot differential, and he's pretty okay at you know break you know suppressing and things like that uh he's he's not going to last in calgary i think beyond this season uh you know he was almost traded at the deadline for jason zucker um pretty confident in in saying that i kind of know the specifics of what the offer was and um it doesn't it's unfortunate because he is like one of my he's legitimately one of my favorite flames players of all time uh, because he is the ultimate kind of second third line forward i think in the nhl uh if you look over his career you know outside of the lulls in chicago where he was kind of playing down the lineup a bit and they had the depth to push him down um he's the cut he's the archetype or the archetype of uh, a modern nhl depth player where you want somebody who could chip in offensively drive shot differential play on the pk you know maybe get some secondary power play time depending on how hot he is but um you know the alan walsh thing in particular um i'm typically a pro labor guy and I typically side on the players, you know, he's just looking out for his, his player the best way he could in terms of uh, a new coach coming in and cutting the ice time of a guy who was getting, you know, second line minutes for his entire tenure. And all of a sudden he's getting, you know, I think he's averaging like 13 or 14 minutes a night, which is about three and a half minutes less than he was last year. Uh, so I don't, I don't expect him to last past the trade, uh, the NHL draft this, uh, this summer. Um, if he lasts past that, I would expect that he's probably traded in the summer um, to Minnesota uh, for Jason Zucker. It seems like the Flames are really kind of dialed in on him, and he looks like a perfect replacement for Freelik as he continues to age out. Um, it's just an unfortunate ending to what I think is probably one of the best free agent signings the Flames have done in over a decade, honestly. Like, they paid ex- they paid exactly what you would expect of a player like him and he provided outside of you know the lull last year and a bit of uh, struggles this season you know he's done exactly what you expected of him and how much time does he actually have left on his contract do you know uh next season is his last year under contract okay. so, so he'll right. be a four and a half a million cap hit give or take right hmm. all right um okay i was gonna say i don't even know what my question was but just kind of looking at uh some some stats uh, just a most basic just a goal scoring i'm pretty sure that i saw you guys have 330 goal scorers on your team right now and almost four is this uh is this true and is this normal i feel like if that's the case that you're potentially have four 30 goal scorers that 
I, I can't think of another team that has that. Maybe I'm dumb and I'm just blanking here. Obviously, I focus a little bit more on the Jets, but uh, just in sort of you know thinking about talking to you, uh, that's that's pretty impressive. Even if even if there are other teams that do it, um, is that is that normal? Or are you guys uh, getting a ton of scoring from a, a few guys? That's that seems pretty good. Yeah, the top line, you know, Lindholm is fit in perfectly there, and he's going to hit 30 goals here. You know, he said at 27, I would expect him to hit you know, 30 here by the end of the season. And uh, Matthew Kachak had the breakout that we were expecting. You know, he's going through a little, he we just finished going through a bit of that lull and got out of it with that hat trick. Um, it, it's it's kind of what you would expect. You know, Johnny Gajot is performing at the level that he's always been capable of. And, you know, Sean Monahan can put the puck in the net despite, you know, going through a bit of a dry spell himself. And uh, the, the crazy thing is just, you know, they're going to finish the season with, probably five yeah about five, i'd say about five players who are going to finish with 70 points or more like i don't i can't remember the last time that's happened for the flames i believe it was 88 89 when they won the cup that they had offense like this or comparably uh they haven't had an offensive output like this in the modern era uh probably since uh 08 09 when they had a couple of I had that about the top line of like Christian Hussey, Elias, George, uh, Jerome McGinley, and uh, Damon Lankow put up some pretty big numbers. But uh, and it's it's a depth scoring too. Like James Neal hasn't produced much this year, so they got you know the consistent you know kind of third fourth line offense coming from guys like Mark Jankowski and Sam Bennett, and you know we touched on Freleek, um, you know and Mike Giordano. Uh, we haven't even really touched on the defense that much, but like you know he's gonna he's at 64 points right now. Um, He's top of the Norris conversation in terms of his play on both sides of the ice. You know, even the kids are chipping in. Um, you know, like Rasmus Anderson in particular, he's putting up some numbers of, you know, for what he is as a rookie. And uh, Michael Backlund is on pace for 51 points, which puts him perfectly in that second line center kind of production level. So it, it's kind of crazy. I wasn't expecting this much of a Bill Peters coach team, but um, it, you'll be hard pressed to find me uh, not excited when the team is putting up, you know, four or five goals in a game or more in some cases. Yeah. I was just taking a quick look here too. I, I'm thinking probably Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh and Toronto are probably the only other teams that have, uh, well, I don't even know if they have four, but uh, at least three in the, that have uh, 30, 30 goals. I think the Jets actually have three or, or very close, but then it drops off. I think Wheeler is with 20 now, but you guys, like like you said, uh, Lindholm is at 27 right now, so it looks like you're going to get that fourth one. I don't know if the Jets, Jets will, but uh, yeah, just kind of impressive. Again, I, I don't pay too much attention to the Flames, so it's uh, impressive to see what they're they're doing there. Um, so moving along just kind of to the, the upcoming playoffs uh, here, I'm curious uh, when you're looking at some of the, the matchups that you'll face. I mean, the first round should be uh, a walk for you guys um but when you're looking at that second round probably facing uh, vegas or san jose um i haven't looked at the updated standings but um what's your take on on those potential matchups uh, how do you think calgary fares against uh, vegas or san jose in, in this potentially second round matchup they're probably screwed <laughs> to be honest i mean <laughs> okay it, it, the pacific is the juggernaut those top three teams uh so they're sitting second right now. So it looks like they'll get Vegas in the first round, um, which does not bode well for them. Uh, I would, it, it, if they if they can get first in the Pacific, they likely get Arizona, and that's like the best situation they can hope for. Um, if they get past that in you know four or five games, which should be doable, um, depending on you know how the team's performing and if they've gone through a, a cold spell in a particular area. Um, 
maybe they can right the ship quickly, or if they're running hot, maybe they have an opportunity to catch a team surprise, you know, on their on their toes and you know take a quick two nothing series lead and then kind of push as hard as they can from there. But I I don't see this team being more capable. Like I I think at best maybe they can get to the third round in the Western Conference Finals. But a lot of things have to go well for them. You know, San Jose or Vegas have to get some injuries. You know, you don't want to see players get injured, but like that's the best case scenario for them or players to hit a, a cold a cold spell. Um, and they kind of have to play the matchups favorably to kind of game their way through the playoffs. But it all starts in the first round. If they don't get first in the Pacific and they don't get the matchup that they need, it, it's going to be very difficult. And um, I'm really unsure. I mean, I was kind of unsure that they would be a, a sec, first or second in the Pacific, to be honest. I think I had them as like a third kind of first wild card team in the Western Conference. Um, they've surprised me. It's just, it, they just need a few more things to go right for them. But it, they're on pace to have, you know, the second best team, the second best season in, I think, club history right now. And if they finish strong, it could be, you know, better than the 88, 89 season. But we'll knock on wood for that. Well, yeah, you're right. They're they're sitting in second right now, but with the same games number of games played with San Jose, just one point behind. So definitely first is still still within reach. It looks like Vegas is pretty much a lock for that that third. They're a little probably too far back to to really uh, come back. But um, it's interesting because you said you don't see them kind of getting past the third round. With the third round, then you know we're talking the Western Conference Finals. Then they're likely playing uh, a Nashville or a Winnipeg, right? Maybe well. Probably not St. Louis. I, I guess we'll see how the, how they come along. But uh, talking about one of those teams, so do you not? Would you not still continue to have Calgary favored? Because that was actually going to be my next question: Flames versus the Jets, essentially. So we're talking Western Conference Finals. Um, how do you think they line up uh, against the Jets? I mean, we'll see a little preview of it on on Saturday. But uh, do you think do you think that they would have the Jets numbers, or do you think the the Jets are a team that um, just the way they match up is is maybe too good for for them? Uh, I think, again, I think it goes back to the, the two main concerns I have, uh, right. defense, you know, if they're going to be surrendering some high quality chances and goaltending, uh, and, you know, obviously the Jets and or Nash will have to go through a bit of a juggernaut in the central and, you know, it, it's entirely possible maybe both of those teams are eliminated by then. We have a, a kind of a Cinderella story or a dark horse sneak in there, but it, it I think Dallas, right? Dallas, my prediction. Well, <laughs> Sorry. Ho- hoping for an Arizona uh, situation, you know, if the Flames don't randomly encounter them. But uh, it, I think the, you know, Calgary and Winnipeg have kind of matched up pretty evenly this season. And in some cases, Flames have kind of outplayed Nashville in some circumstances. So they have opportunities there. It just comes down to a lot of things going their way and injuries, too. Like, I, I don't think the Jets' blue line looks pr- particularly healthy either right now, right? You know, Bufflin's out. Um, Morrissey's I think- out. Yeah, they, your top two guys are out right now. And, uh, you know, Jacob Truba is going to do his best to kind of toe the line there. And wonder can Sammy Niku, who I hope is a full-time NHLer next season, is doing his damnedest too. But outside of that, like, that's kind of where the Flames could exploit the Jets hypothetically, depending on how teams are looking at that point, or even if they're both in it. Yeah. I feel like uh, just talking with some Jets fans, and I think we did like a poll or, or a tweet about it a while ago, but uh, I feel like a lot of Jets fans are still like really concerned about whoever comes out of that Pacific. Like, I mean, obviously as fans, you, you think your team is good. You want them to do well, but uh, looking at San Jose, Calgary, or even Vegas, um, uh, I think a lot of Winnipeg fans would probably, if they're being completely honest, probably side with one of those, uh, a Pacific team to, to beat the jets in, in the third round, even though they don't want it. But uh, yeah, uh, you, you talked about uh, the, the media and their, 
their coverage of the Flames just kind of briefly there. I can't remember exactly what the, the topic was when you mentioned it. And that was something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, again, in Winnipeg, we are kind of familiar with what we do here. And uh, I think we all can kind of joke and laugh about the, the homerism of the Edmonton Oilers uh, media. They, I find them, uh, you know, quite hilarious at times. Uh, Winnipeg Jets media a bit as well. I'm curious uh, what you think of like the media coverage, uh, maybe the addition of, uh, you know, athletic, um, in a bigger city like that, there's probably a few more outlets than maybe we have here. Uh, curious what, like, uh, maybe the, the fan experience is. I know you probably a slightly different role than a typical fan, but uh, in Calgary, how the team is covered, uh, do you feel like it's uh, fair, it's quality, who are maybe some of the, the best writers and uh, kind of doing doing the team justice to to call out, you know, bullshit when they see it, but also um, give credit when, when it's actually due instead of... Um, uh, you know, pumping the tires of the team undeservedly. So uh, just curious on your take of Calgary media without uh, naming names. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I'll name names. And I mean, I, I, I often put myself in a situation where I kind of make enemies, but I'll say that, uh, you know, the handful of folks I know very personally at sports at 960. So Pat Steinberg, he writes with us at Flank Nation. Uh, Ryan Pinder's great. Uh, Peter Klein and uh, Will Nault, even though a lot of people may disagree with them. Um, they're, they're kind of the best ones in my opinion, um, for radio side, uh, they do a really good job, but, uh, you know, us at Flames Nation, I, I would, I'm not going to not say that we're the best because we are, um, we have a really great staff, a very diverse staff, because I think inclusiveness is important in this, uh, this sport. If I can, uh, talk a little bit briefly about that, um, it's a white sport predominantly made up of males, uh, especially in the fans. And I think that the Flames Nation's done a really good job in diversifying it. You know, Ari Yanover, she's the best editor in hockey as far as I'm concerned. And we've got, um, you know, Ramina Shaw chipping in uh, and then also doing Inferno coverage. And, uh, you know, Bill and Kareem from the Wind Column have joined us and they're great, great writers that we, we just found randomly. And, um, you know, we've got Ryan Pike, Who's, in, who's a part of the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association, which is a big deal for us, you know, getting our first credentialed writer um, at that level. Um, you've got Christian Tiberi and Christian Rodas doing prospect work. Uh, we've got Taylor McKee bringing up with the features on, like, history. Uh, like I said, we've got Pat Steinberg and then former, uh, I think, Calgary Herald writer Steve McFarlane as well on some features. But uh, so we have a really competitive group of people that, uh, kind of make up the majority of, I guess, coverage. You know, there's a few other blogs out there that are trying to get their footing and stuff like that and all the power to them, but um, we're kind of the juggernaut to beat. Um, that's something I think we should be proud of. Uh, you know, the the big-name guys at Sportsnet or even, I think, the TSN um, uh, like kind of coverage guy, Jermaine Franklin, you know, they do, they do their thing. Um, I don't really necessarily agree with a lot of their opinions because they put a lot of stock in some things that... Uh, don't really hold up, but you know, they're doing the best they can and uh, they need to exist for, I guess, like people such as myself and my cohorts, uh, they offer up opinions that might not be uh, accurate or um, I guess like accurate in the sense of, you know, the, the quantifiable things that we can measure in the, in the game. And we're there to kind of say, okay, you know, here's an alternative take, here's the analysis on it, you know, be it numbers, be it video, be it, you know, research we've done. Um, so I think we're, we're really doing a great job and we complement each other. And I think that they kind of respect us and we can respect them. You know, we have our, our, our touch-ups here and there and we have to kind of clarify things or, you know, just hash it out. But, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big market. I'd say like it's a big market team with a small 
kind of like small market media. There's not a, really a lot outside of Sportsnet coverage and then us really. So right. I, I don't know how to describe it. I think it's comparable to Winnipeg in a lot of respects. Like, the, the crazy thing is like, it's just like you guys have TSN coverage. We have Sportsnet. So. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't realize Flames Nation was so, uh, so powerful. Jets Nation is uh, maybe just because it's somewhat still in its infancy. I know it's year eight and everything, but uh, yeah, you guys obviously have a really good thing established. And what is what exactly is, is your role over at Flames Nation? Uh, so I kind of came back this year. I was doing some special teams work. Uh, I've had to drop off a little bit just because of work and uh, some other things going on. But um, I, I just kind of kick around. I help out with social media because I used to do social media for us um, and try and help out with research. Like if people need numbers, if people need you know vids or graphics, things like that. Um, I would like to be writing more and more. It's just a day job is impacting me. So I, I've kind of just dwindled off a little bit. I think uh, it's inevitably going to result in my retirement in a lot of respects, but, you know, I try to write and contribute whenever I can. Well, you heard it here first. The retirement is is uh, in the wings there. <laughs> um, and then uh, just kind of moving on to one of the other uh, things you're involved with, Hockey Graphs. Uh, curious if you could tell people what Hockey Graphs is. I, I was looking the other day at the list of people, it's as long as the list that you just uh, named of people from Flames Nation, it's uh, and probably some crossover too besides yourself, but uh, what exactly is uh, is Hockey Graphs and, and your role there? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah we're, a, we're a cult, uh, as <laughs> some people like to call us. We, I, I feel like we're kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of hockey analysis. You know, it was founded by Ben Wendorf and uh, Garrick 16 and Garrett Hole, our friend, um, and uh, I believe a, a couple others back in the day. It's just a, a kind of uh, a stat-centric blog, no team allegiance, no real allegiance to the game other than like providing quantifiable analysis and cutting-edge analysis as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then it kind of expanded from that to include a lot of folks, you know, Nick Mercad, um, Andrew Hirsch at one point, um, and then it got even larger. We started adding folks like Ryan Stimson and Prashant Iyer and Alex Novet and uh, now Asma uh, Toomey is our editor-in-chief, and we've, we're on our, sex, our second iteration of the Hockey Graphs Mentee program, which is we take um, maybe up and coming stats writers or people who are interested in it. Um, we assign them a buddy. Uh, they work with their buddy to develop projects and analysis and articles. And uh, then we start publishing them, try and pump their tires. Um, Judy Cohen, for example, she was part of the mentee program. Uh, she worked under Ryan, uh, who I did uh, presentations with at CHAC. And she got a job with uh, the Leafs research and development team. Um, a lot of former hockey graphs. Alumni work for teams right now, like Ark Parnas and Dawson Spriggins are with the Avalanche. Uh, there's a few others probably down the road, uh, depending on how the future kind of goes for them. And um, I'm, I'm sure I'm blanking a lot of names, but we do a lot of kind of quantifiable work and a lot of cutting edge work. And um, we like to have fun. Um, that's why we're in it is you know the, the enjoyment of taking the sport that we we do enjoy um whether or not people want to agree or disagree with that and uh trying to find things that improve performance or find ways to evaluate the game that we love so it's great uh people should check out all the great articles and uh we provide a lot of resources too um because we need we always want to give back to the community and, and enable others to do work because there's going to be a point when um 
voices in the community right now uh, won't be around uh, for whatever reason. It could be career, it could be boredom, it could be family, it could be life, it could be whatever. And we need to make sure that the next generation of analysts and bloggers that like this type of work have uh, re pieces to reference or resources to be successful in this field. No, I, I, I love the way that you kind of get get into that and describe all that stuff because uh, I think there's a lot of resistance to to analytics and that, that side of it. I'm sure you've seen that, you know, everyone calling you guys a bunch of nerds and stuff, right? But at the same time, like, to, to anybody who's resistant, there's got to be at least some mad respect for uh, all the work and time that you guys put in and, and uh, the belief that you would actually get something out of it that would be... Uh, more valuable than somebody who manages to create a Twitter account just to bash this kind of stuff, right? I mean, you, it sounds like you guys have, you know, have a plan. You put in a bunch of stuff. There's a real organized um, uh, conglomerate of people that that are really interested in this stuff, and and teams are finding value in it too. Uh, I'm I'm curious because I was going to ask this later because we'll get into the sea hack thing. But uh, why why do you think there's so many fans like uh, and and people that are resistant to um, the value of analytics is it just or are they just kind of scared of it because they don't understand it or uh, like in in your um, experience have you had people kind of come around and say this was the biggest factor to them not getting it or not understanding or, or whatnot I think still just, sorry I'll just ramble for two more seconds like there there's part of old hockey culture that's definitely uh, part of it still. I mean, when I chatted with uh, Murata uh, a year ago, I said, uh, "Here's a hockey card. Look at some of the stats that are on the back." And it's like, you know, you got your uh, your goals, assists, your points, and then it's your plus, minus, and your penalties and minutes. I'm like, what the hell are these stats? Like they they don't they're not valuable at all. Why are we, why are we talking about these things? And um, so we just said, what would be some you know, I asked him what what would be some some good stats that would you could add and, and measure a player a little bit better. I know not that people are looking at back of hockey cards to decide if they should draft a person or not. But uh, anyhow, that's a long-winded uh, uh, question to to say. What? It, why do you think people are resistant? Because it, again, it looks like you guys are creating a ton of value. Just some people maybe don't understand it. So yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, and we're not like kind of like the central hub. It's just like a large portion of the, I guess, like the community is associated with us. And that's how we kind of we get the cult tag that we're a bunch of cult cultists and we follow one way of looking at the game. But uh, I think it's a couple factors that people are resistant. And I don't even think it's resistance. I think it's just ignorance or an unwillingness to kind of learn about it. Or And it's, I think it's probably because they they see a lot of people spouting these numbers and then maybe they've had a bad interaction with them on Twitter. So they think that these people are snobby or too too big for their britches and don't want to take the time to explain things. Um, I think accessibility, to, yeah, and it's gotten better. I think you see folks like Marat in particular and even Alison Lucan at The Athletic, uh, she had a really good presentation at Hack about accessibility of data in storytelling. And I think it's, I think it's important that everybody watch and listen to her speak about it because that would change a lot of people's minds. Uh, I, I think in particular with the the material or the way of evaluating players, a lot of people tend to trust their their eyes more than they should, especially when it comes to sports, you know. Uh, and the one thing that I would say to those people, if, if they're saying just watch the game or just use the eye test to evaluate things is like, you're experiencing the game in a very personal way even if we're sitting side by side and having a, a discussion about the game while it's happening, uh, you're going to notice things different than I might, for example. And uh, we could be, we could both be right, or we could both be wrong. But ultimately, you know, we know things 
from the the analysis being done publicly in the past, present, and what will be done in the future to suggest, you know, teams that typically outshoot other teams are more poised for success or more capable of winning. Uh, because if you have to puck more and you're creating more shots, therefore you should be hopefully creating more goals. We know that doesn't always work out right. You know, the Carolina Hurricanes went through several seasons of great shot metrics and great expected goal metrics, for example, but they couldn't bury the puck. And, you know, this is their year for, you know, where shooting percentage is working out. Um, there's a lot of, you know, yeah, you know, when we start getting to things like modeling and expected goals, it, it's really hard for people to kind of accept maybe results you know that might be outliers for example and they say well this player is an outlier on this list how can this model be accurate you know therefore it invalidates it well it's no you know if a really unusual player is on the model it should prompt a discussion you know it could be a sample size thing and you know no model is perfect if you ask you know micah if you ask uh the evolving wild twins you know josh and luke youngren um they'll say that their models aren't perfect um they fully know it they just say you know you know, when they're testing it, for example, you know, if Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid and Nikita Kucherov are up at the top of it, odds are it's probably a pretty accurate model, but it shouldn't be taken as gospel. It should just be used as a tool, um, like everything else that's been created in the community, past, present, and future, to come to a conclusion of which player hypothetically might be better or better suited for ter to particular situations or which team is performing the best. Um, they're all just lampposts to help kind of guide you home. Um, it's just a matter of accepting that this is the way the game is moving. Um, and not only that, but it's moving that way within the business of the league, but it's also moving that way within the community and uh, within you know people who have influence, or I guess like audiences to have a discussion about performance and things like that. Um, you can choose for, you know, this is kind of a message to the, the people who just don't care still. You can choose mm -hmm. to engage with maybe individuals like myself who really enjoy stats and, and uh, quantitative analysis. That's totally fine if you want to be a dink or even have a respectful discussion. But um, if you just don't care about it and you don't think that there's any place for it in the game or in the, the community, just don't talk to us. We don't want to talk to you. And it's not an elitist thing. It's just like it would it would save you the headache of like smashing on your keyboard or on your phone to be like you guys are wrong this is dumb and they you know watch the game it's about hitting and fights like the, like i don't give a care i don't care can i swear on this oh always i think that's a, like a general rule we've <laughs> had people ask that before i think the general rule is if you're on a podcast you can always swear it's always fine so I, yeah i try not to but uh just because you know i have to not do it at work but it's it's just really fucking inane to have a discussion and be like you're wrong well why am i wrong and you know you provide an, yeah, an argument for example or i don't know it's it's just dumb like people can live people can coexist with people who like stats and vice versa at the end of the day like we just all want to know which team is better and which players and teams suck right right yeah and i'm finding more and more that uh, you're hearing coaches and players even sort of start to reference this thing it's not like they don't have a clue so even people that are maybe a bit more old school we'll just use that term for lack of a, a better one um that if if you kind of don't get away, the game's going to get away from you a little bit right because more and more it's moving to like you mentioned some of your uh, friends and co colleagues have kind of moved in to work with teams specifically for this reason, not because they're, you know, uh, sharpening skates or anything like that. Right. It's not like uh, they're there specifically to do this type of work and, and teams are finding value with it. I mean, uh, some teams have big um, teams that are, that are involved in, in, uh, 
you know, collecting data and processing and, and, and trying to find value in it and pass it on to a coach. And, and this is something I've said a bunch of times on the podcast, and I'll, I'll just kind of go with it, and you can maybe elaborate on it a little bit too. But uh, hockey is a game that is played in the margins. I mean, when you play your best team against the very worst team, the worst team still probably has a, you know, 35 to 40% chance of winning, which is way different than, you know, when the Golden State Warriors play against the whatever, Sacramento Kings, right? They probably win 10 out of 10, really, realistically. And same in football, you know, when the old Cleveland Browns play the uh, New England Patriots, they, they'd probably lose 9 out of 10 times or 10 out of 10. But in hockey, it's, it's a lot closer. So I don't know why people don't see the value in finding uh, I love using this word, but like some more value, eke out more value in the minutiae of it, right? To to really look into the, the margins and see where can you find an advantage because just on skill alone, there isn't maybe always enough advantage, right? Um, because every all the players have been on different teams and the coaches have all been recycled and stuff. So everybody knows what's going on. So if you can find value where no one else is looking or where you're specifically looking to find some, I don't see why anyone would be resistant to it. Even if you don't understand it, at least appreciate appreciate it. So uh, that's my, my super, super duper hot take on, on no, why I people think... sh- should care. I think you're right. I, and I think you're right about the league. Uh, it's, it's margins. You're, you're only... That we were talking about this at C-Hack. Um, you're just looking to gain a 1% advantage at best. Like That's really all you're looking for in some cases. Um, I should add, uh, just to put this out there, because I know people will be like, Mike is an elitist, but if you reach <laughs> out to somebody who is really invested in you know, analysis, they will find you resources to help you know, shepherd you along if you're curious. There's so many resources, like MetaHockey. I should plug MetaHockey every time I can, but it is a repository of articles and blogs and video analysis and you name it of everything that we can get our hands on that is still online. In some cases, we've had to rip it or scrape it before it's got taken down because some people have gotten hired, right? So um, yeah, you, you want coaches to be enabled to get their, the best out of their players. And if that means getting you know one or two shot attempts extra a game, so be it. If it means you know coaching, um, helping coaches enable players to play a particular way that is more conducive to creating more goals, then so be it. Um, and the only thing I will disagree with is the Sacramento Kings are actually pretty okay this year. Okay, um, sorry. So uh, uh, I just want to that. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. The Memphis Grizzlies. It's like watching Golden State play against Memphis right now. Uh, yeah. But I, I, every coach should be looking to find a, a 1, 1% gain in any way that they can. Yeah. Sorry, I was up on the basketball. I just know the Golden State Warriors are usually uh, pretty good. But, uh, yeah, the, I'll, I know the Gri- Grizzlies suck because uh, – as much as I don't follow it, I just say that's my team. Just because uh, I cheer for other teams from Tennessee when it comes to football and uh, other sports. So, um, anyhow, moving along. You know what? We we mentioned the Seahawk thing a, a couple times here. I was gonna kind of leave it till the end, but I mean, we're kind of dipping into it already. So, uh, kind of two things. I know that it happened in Seattle. So. I'll, I'll let you talk about what what Seahack is exactly what just happened there, and uh, but I, I'm also curious um, the vibe that you get about uh, hockey coming to Seattle is sort of a secondary, somewhat related question, and then I do have a couple more questions specifically about stats and maybe some of the the stuff that you guys got from from Seahack. So maybe uh, if you brief, briefly describe what this uh, conference was and uh, the NHL in Seattle. Yeah, so it, it was the first time Seahawk, so the Seattle Analytics Hockey Conference, uh, happened. Normally, we host it in Vancouver. Um, Hockeygrass worked with NHL in Seattle to kind of put it on at University of Washington. So first time uh, in Seattle, really great turnout. Um, 
it was just uh, two days of all types of analysis. Uh, you had some very, very advanced things like uh, Micah Blake McCurdy's uh, new goaltending evaluation model, um, which I think I think it's being pretty well received. It was an hour of him lambasting us with some of the most amazing um, breakdowns and explanations and anecdotes uh, you can imagine. Uh, there was, you know, people like myself and uh, Ryan Stimson and Scott Marin doing some penalty kill and power play tracking analysis and using spatial data. You know, Megan Hall, who did some fantastic goalie pulling aggressiveness uh, analysis. Uh, you had some folks do some ELO work. You know, it was uh, just two days of uh, hockey nerds in a, in a in a kind of lecture hall. There were lots of people from teams there. Uh, Dave Tippett, who works for the uh, Seattle group, he he sat beside me for two days, uh, taking it all in. Um, we had some, you know, kind of social events. Uh, it was great. And then to kind of answer the second question, uh, it's going to work. Hockey is going to work there. It's a great, it's a great market. We were out at the Angry Beaver, which is a hockey bar in Seattle, and it was packed on a on a Sunday night. And there was lots of people there that were, you know, Caps fans, Vegas fans, uh, you name it. Everybody just enjoying their time together, watching hockey. Uh, people that weren't even at the conference spending time with us and getting to know us while we sat there and watched, you know, the Flames trounce uh, the, the the Golden Knights there at the end. But um, it's just a really great city, and I think the Key Arena is going to look great when it's full of uh, tens of, you know, just under twenty thousand people, you know, cheering on whatever that Seattle team is. Yeah, but we can conjecture. Eh? There's been some some fun ones about uh, what people think it's going to be called. <laughs> um, Angry Beaver isn't that the name of an energy drink that you can get at Safeway? I don't know. Do you have you ever seen that one before? Angry Beaver. Yeah, that was a yeah. thing for like probably like six seven years ago. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I still see that one. Anyhow, that's completely unrelated. As an energy drink fan here, just uh, noting that. Um, so now, just uh, all the stuff that you guys uh, that that happened there. Um, I was going to ask you about the future of stats and and what uh, not just the future of kind of stats and where they're going and some of the the neat things on the the horizon, but how also uh, maybe some of the plans because I'm sure you guys talk about the stuff of making them more accessible and understandable to all the the non nerds out there. I mean, there's a lot of visualizations that uh, are, have been happening. I don't know if that's the right word. Visuals, I guess. Uh, like Micah, you mentioned him. Uh, he's done some great work that is often used on Twitter and stuff. People always showing his uh, heat heat maps and and whatnot. But yeah, I'm just curious what the 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 future is uh, and again how to make it more accessible and understandable to to, to people yeah I, I think things are in a, a really good spot i know there was a lot of discussion probably this summer and last summer you know there hasn't been a lot of great public analysis done um from a couple of people in particular with significant audiences and they are wrong uh so you know, if you know who they are, they probably deserve to be corrected. But uh, yeah, the, the work that Mike is doing in particular, like last year, he unveiled the threat mo his uh, threat, which was an isolated uh, player model uh, to isolate uh, player impact on an individual level. And it's really great. Um, this year, he's unveiled this new goalie, uh, this goalie uh, model. Um, and it actually extends beyond goalies to players. But, um, you know, not to, not to pump my own my own tires too much, but you know, the work that Ryan and I have been doing with special teams analysis using spatial tracking with a publicly available tracker and releasing our data and findings publicly, um, nobody else is doing that. Uh, Scott Marin, like I touched on, he did some zone entry work track. I think he tracked like 4,500 zone entries on the power play over the last few seasons, like an obscene sample set. He found some really great insights. Um, you know, Megan, 
uh, I'm probably forgetting a lot of people. Alex Novet did a, an expected goals model with pre-shot movement involved, and the, the findings were a little bit different than what you're probably expecting. Uh, you, uh, it, it's in a really great spot, and the continued efforts of making it more accessible um, by building people up and getting their skill sets rounded out um, and, and teaching more is huge. Um, I think that the the viz work, you know, we had a, a blow up a couple weeks ago over or over complicated visualizations of information um, that seems subsided. But I do think it was a critical discussion to have that accessibility in the community uh, for newcomers, tenured people, or people on the fence is critical. Um, a lot of it starts with addressing different learning styles for adults. Um, it can't always be pictures. It can't always just be raw numbers and text. Um, it can't always be video. There has to be a mix of content available for individuals so that we touch on every type of learning style for everybody. Um, because without doing that, um, we run into more people who just don't understand things. Maybe they they blow up or they, they get in a spat or maybe it's just a heated discussion when in, in reality, um, something in text that could have been explained over a visualization of whatever type it could be or some video accompanying the numbers could have been an accessibility or an option for those people to kind of you know, understand the content and make it accessible. So it's going to come on people like Mike Gallimore and Prashanth Iyer who run MetaHockey to continue to chronicle and log this information so that, let's say, you know, somebody joins Twitter and they're like, hey, I'm kind of curious about the numbers, you know, they're talking about on broadcasts. What are the best, you know, articles to kind of brush up on really quickly? And somebody can be like, hey, here's a link, here's a link, here's a link. If you have more questions, we more than happy have a dialogue or maybe you can check out these articles or maybe you could just continue to search meta hockey, for example, to find those things. Um, the other side of it is like the women's game. Uh, I believe Alyssa, uh, her Twitter is Alyssa tweeting or Alyssa's tweets, I, um, it, it's escaping me, but she's doing some fantastic work um, with women's hockey in particular the Australian Women's Hockey League. Um, I think uh, there's a gentleman, uh, in the New York Rangers kind of sphere. His name's Mike. Uh, he does some really great NWHL work. Uh, Quirky Hockey just did a, a lightning talk at Seahawk about women's hockey in, in regards to shot plots and shot visualization, which I think is a huge breakthrough. Uh, so it, it's not just the men's game, it's also the women's game. And But I, I feel like with the women's game, there's a lot more accessibility in that community, um, in that subset of the hockey Twitter community. And I think that they deserve equal and even more attention in terms of the work they're doing because uh, they're influencing a lot of the kind of tenured folks and saying, okay, this is how I can make my content more accessible. Um, but we just need to enable each other and we need to kind of uh, echo or uh, amplify the voices in the community that are doing a great job. It's kind of a convoluted long answer, but hopefully it, it, it uh, sticks with people. Hey, I give convoluted long questions. So um, that's, uh, that's great. Cause yeah, I was going to ask you, um, and uh, like you touched on on many different things, but um, I, I guess I was going to say, what are some of the best visualizations you 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 found for maybe people entering into it, like trying to maybe understand where there's more value? I mean, if you it's showing a vis visualization of uh, you know where people where this player's hitting the most or where fights happen the most. I mean, like we're probably talking about things that aren't that valuable to, to really evaluating players, but uh, for visualizations um, of the most important things, uh, which are some of the best ones that you would say, like I, I, I you talked about a bunch of different ones there. Uh, but as far as for people that uh, maybe don't get 
get all the details of this yet and they're just sort of dipping their toe in who do you think's doing some work that uh, is accessible to to non to to my 69 year old dad yeah uh, i i mean micah in, like i'm biased i think micah is the best at this but he has a soft spot for making content accessible so everything that micah does is great some like i shouldn't say it everything is accessible like so, some things do take a little bit of work but i think you know his heat maps and his player um and his team heat maps too are really great too um brad at natural statric has you know the generic you know kind of line graph depending on the shots and the shot flow or game flow as he calls it um everybody's been using those but i think brad's are probably some of the best right now he's also got some heat maps in game on his game summaries on uh, natural statric they're really great uh sean tyranny uh, charting hockey he is you know he's an educator he is a teacher so his emphasis on just communicating data is, is so critical and he's one of the best in terms of using Tableau. He doesn't make it too busy. He doesn't make it too minimal. He finds that perfect medium and it's taken quite a few years of him just working at it. And he, you know, the, the four quadrant approach to data viz, you know, you know, dull, good, uh, fun, bad, like, like lucky. Yeah. All that. Yeah. I yeah, love his stuff. Yeah. He, he is the kind of like the, the benchmark in terms of Tableau viz, uh, uh, Megan Hall has started doing some really, really, really great work as well. Um, in terms of the more kind of systematic things, you know, uh, Ryan and I have started doing a bit more hex, uh, hex plotting in terms of special teams things and that matter. Um, yeah, I, I'd say like Sean, Micah, you know, natural stat trick, Megan, um, there's probably lots of other people I'm forgetting, but those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. Yeah. Those are great. Those are ones that, uh, again, I've I've seen a lot of and I enjoy them too. Uh, I was going to ask you about uh, about uh, problematic ones, which you you talked about, but you didn't uh, want to kind of go. So maybe when we're done recording, I can ask you. But uh, I won't. We won't do that that one right now, just for the problems, because I think this we kind of you know uh, covered a lot of it, and I think it's great stuff. But just one last thing about sort of. It's not just the analytics, but um, the future of the player tracking the Jets, or not the Jets, the NHL is introducing that player tracking stuff. So I, I feel like there's going to be some interesting data you guys can pull from that, or maybe uh, maybe things will just get a little bit more accurate. I'm curious what you see with the future of uh, player tracking. They're going to be you know, measuring how fast people skate, how long they skate, all this kind of stuff. I mean, soccer has been doing it for a while. How many passes they make, uh, all, all those things. I'm just curious what you see of the future and how that maybe affects some of the work you guys are doing. Uh, so we won't see it in the public by the sense of things. Uh, I don't think most teams are even fully equipped for the data that's coming. Um, right. I know bits and pieces about, you know, how many people were for each team. And uh, some teams have enough people, I think, that might be capable. Other teams, I don't even know if they have uh, people who are capable of using that data and they might have to hire people. But um, I think it is a step in the right direction. Um, I think it it's less about the data because this data was going to be available either by the NHL and whatever company or um, kind of group they're using to do it. Um, but, you know, sport logic, athletes, um, iceberg, there's a few other private companies to do this type of work. Um, the data was just going to be available. I think the real hurdle is uh, teams employing analysts to process the data and provide accurate uh, reporting uh, in terms of what is necessary to drive performance or drive changes in a positive way. Um, the last thing you want is uh, maybe uh, morally bankrupt analysis internally uh, using that data and then having teams making uh, decisions that might not be in their best interests. Um, 
because the data is just data. It's agnostic. It's it's kind of once you put it in the hands of a human, it's uh it's up to them to you know paint a story. Um, and some stories are are not accurate, and some stories are are pretty accurate. But the goal should be just making the the data accessible for whoever's looking at it and be enabling them to make the decisions that the, they feel they need to be it good or bad but i mean the good or bad thing is kind of subjective interesting um i don't know if you want to speak to this i didn't actually tell you i was going to ask you about this but uh just curious if uh if you can kind of tell us um the the nature of the good hands that the the jets specifically are in i don't know how much you know about their organization and uh Who's who's doing stuff? You can you could just say pass if you want. But uh, uh, do do you know much about uh, who the Jets are using and and how they're employing uh, the data that they do collect and and how they use that? Uh, it's actually one of the teams I don't know anything about in terms of their front office structure. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, like I think it's I, part of my in part like I always I'll be honest and it's not like an indictment against Winnipeg, but I always forget that Winnipeg exists as a city in Canada, and so like I. <laughs> I know that like the Jets are a hockey team, but sometimes I just forget that I'm like, oh yeah, Winnipeg's got a team. Like I, I don't know who they're who's who they have on staff, but I'm assuming they have some folks making some decisions that might make sense. It's it's hard to it's really hard, I guess, from a corporate perspective to like say this decision was explicitly driven by analytics, you know, or or data or whatever like that. Um, I think it's kind of a, a it's it's a bad faith conversation to have to say x team did this move because of their analyst i think you know if the input is being used hypothetically then you know good for them if it's not being used i mean there's always room for opportunities but uh yeah i, I don't really know who's working in winnipeg i wish i did because it would help me uh it would help give me some ideas of uh, who to bug if uh, if they are online with a burner to uh <laughs> pick their mind but i don't know I'll, if i find out i'll let you know <laughs> If I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, I don't know anything, though. You obviously know more people in this community, but I, I just find that stuff interesting, just because uh, you know when you can find an out, outside source uh, that can tell you stuff about your team, it's uh, it's always fun. It's uh, interesting as a as a fan and doing this this you know podcast whatnot. We talk to lots of different people, so there's lots of conversations that happen that aren't part of the recording. So I feel like oh, I I got little bits of information. I mean, they're useless to most people, like to my my dad, right? But to, to me, they sort of paint a picture that is uh, is interesting and and probably a little bit different than most fans get. So I was just uh, fishing for a little little something extra, but that's fine that you don't know. I don't know either. That's why I asked. So, um, all right, let's end off with something uh, kind of real light here. Um, the Heritage Classic. Uh, you guys had one a couple of years ago. Uh, what was it? Two thousand eleven in Calgary. Who did you guys face again? It was Montreal. Is that right? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then the Jets uh, in 2016 played against uh, the Edmonton Oilers here. So now another Heritage Classic. Our two teams are going to play each other again, not just this Saturday, but next October, I believe, in Regina. Uh, first of all, did you go to the Heritage Classic in 2011 in, in Calgary? I did not. I was uh, very poor. I just started my uh, my my current uh, at my current employer, so I had no money. But uh, it was a, a big regret that I couldn't scratch at the money for it. Right. And are you are you considering going to the one in Regina? Uh, I've never had an interest to go to Saskatchewan. This only slightly increases the chances. I think the the big thing is cost uh, for me personally, um, and also whether or not if I could get press access. Because uh, as much as I want to be out in the crowd, it would be really nice to just like 
be inside. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm chronically cold all the time. So any opportunity to just be indoors where it's warm. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, there's been a few of us at Flames Nation in, in the, our group chat, you know, trying to plan or try to get an idea of how many of us would actually go out for the game. Right. And uh, do you have any uh, strong thoughts or opinions about them doing it in in Regina was like, I mean, I'm not sure how far it is from Calgary, but from Winnipeg, I guess it was far enough and it was recent enough that we did one in Winnipeg that, you know, there's people that were excited about it, but I felt like there was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a groan also attached to it. I mean, not from playing Calgary, but just going out to Saskatchewan, maybe, maybe it's a rough rider versus bomber kind of thing for a lot of people, but it felt like the excitement was pretty subdued. So I'm curious as a Calgary fan, I know you're in Edmonton, but, uh, yeah, just uh, what your your take is on that thing. I, I you know, it's a two day event. It's a, it's not that big of a, a deal or or a story, but the fact that it's our two teams, I thought it'd be kind of a fun one just to mention. But yeah, so your your thoughts and the, the general take of uh, Flamers um, going out to Saskatchewan for a game? Uh, I I never want to hear that word again. But uh, <laughs> sorry, it's all good. Um, I I think it was. I think it's subdued because, like, like you said, we've it's year after year of outdoor game. Like, if it was a thing every couple of years, like a, a couple of teams got an outdoor game, it would add to the mystique. Um, I think the one thing that people are kind of apprehensive about in this one is whether or not we're going to get like Atlanta Thrashers versus Atlanta Flames jerseys. Um, if those are confirmed, I will be buying the best tickets possible that I can to go to that game because there's nothing more exciting on this planet than the possibility of seeing those two jerseys on the ice one more time. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing for Saskatchewan. Like, I you know, it's a flat, barren place with nothing to offer in terms of resources or any enjoyment. And this is probably the most exciting thing to happen to those people in, like, 300 years. Uh, so, and it, I think it's probably a good thing just to have it in a neutral site. I, I would love to have seen the, uh, a Heritage Classic between these two teams hypothetically in Winnipeg or even in Calgary, but uh, the pick in the middle kind of works for best. And um, we'll see how it is. Um, I it, it just comes down to whether or not they have really good jerseys for both teams. If they don't, like it's kind of a deal breaker for me. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I think um, uh, there's a team that, I don't know if it's the ECHL team in Atlanta, the Gladiators that are wearing the thrashers jerseys did you see this or no yeah they did the the three periods so they did the, each period was a different uh atlanta team that it's come and gone yeah and the, yeah and the flames and then there's a, another one too it, that game happened already oh, okay i thought it's still coming up i was gonna maybe i'll have to look for some some picks anyhow i thought that was kind of funny that's that's one little connection that i guess calgary and winnipeg will always have now and uh my apologies for saying flamers literally i've never said that before it just came out. I have no idea. I think I was like, you know, with the flyer thing, um, it just it just happened. So uh, no, it's all good. I'm sorry, that... I'm sorry if that's offensive to you or to anyone else listening. I literally was just being cute and and dumb and realizing as I said it, just literally nah, how stupid it sounded. So it's all good. It's it, like in the Flames fan base, there was a typo in a Flames tweet a few years ago where they just said Flams. And like yeah, that's yeah. like that's like the cute way that we always refer to the team is like go flams. But uh, I, I mean, I just hear it at work all day from like Oilers fans, and I'm just like, it is one of those things like it's nails on a chalkboard. It's like really, but it's all good, dude. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, you know what? I think that's it. I don't know. Uh, I think we covered everything. We're at about an hour, so let's uh, let's shut her down. Thanks, uh, Mike, though, so much for taking the time to do this. This was uh, fun, and I think for anyone that's uh, certainly of that ilk of analytics and stuff they'll appreciate uh, 
all your words there and, and certainly some uh, some arrows pointing towards different resources. So thanks for your time, man. This this is fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. Okay, take care. You too.